You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's to find out more about our church or to take a next step. Visit stbarts.com.au. Well, it would be great to keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 4 as we continue in our series looking at how people respond to Jesus and his encounters. But first, let's pray. Gracious Father, by the power of your Spirit, please help us to seek your will, depend on Jesus, and withstand temptation by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here at St. Bart's, when a child or an adult is baptised, it's a great joy to continue encouraging and spurring them on in their following of Jesus. So to help, we give a Bible and maybe a devotional. But after Jesus was baptised, things looked pretty different. There was no cake or celebration or gift. Immediately, Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit for a time of testing. The encouragement that Jesus received to keep following God was an encounter with the enemy. Now, we know that times of testing often happen right after periods of rapid spiritual growth, like when you first come to faith. So when a voice from heaven declares that this is my son, Jesus is in the spotlight. As the king of the universe bursts into the world, so cataclysmic is this event that we get a glimpse of everything in creation responding. Kings, shepherds, hosts of angels, and even demons. In the wilderness, Jesus encounters the enemy. But this encounter is different. This encounter with the enemy not only marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but is the defining moment in his choice of the path that he will take. The father affirmed that this is my son, and the enemy gets about testing what type of son of God Jesus will be. How will Jesus wield his power? Who will Jesus trust in? Will Jesus take what is rightfully his now? And will this long-awaited Messiah flex his power as the ultimate king? Or will he follow the costly path of the suffering servant? The enemy knows who Jesus really is. That's why he seeks to distract and deter Jesus' mission to the cross. Here in Matthew chapter 4, we see how the enemy responds to Jesus. He tempts him with power, seeks to undermine his trust, and offers to fast track his glory. So first, we see the enemy tempts Jesus with power. So from verse 1, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus interacts with the one called the devil, also known as the tempter, Satan, and the enemy. This is not two equal powers in opposition. The enemy does not have equal power to God. And Jesus is not here in a hostage situation. But Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God is not in the business of tempting us in order to trip us up. But here we see that God allows the enemy to tempt his son. And like a furnace, his mission is being tested. The enemy, he wants to distract Jesus' path to the cross. But God will use this to signify again that Jesus is his obedient son, willing to suffer. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And straight away, we should see the parallel with Israel, the nation who God led into the wilderness, who waited 40 years before entering the promised land. And we know that this is what Jesus had in mind, as all scripture and nearly everything that Jesus quotes back to the enemy points to this exact moment in Israel's life. Nearly all of Jesus' words in this encounter are from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8 which is part of Moses' speech to Israel. Moses had reminded the people in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now is another time of testing. Israel failed at keeping God's commands, but Jesus does not. To state the obvious, after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is hungry. We are to think that Jesus is superhuman, but like us, he gets hungry and tired. And this is when the enemy strikes. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The enemy doesn't tempt Jesus with something that is useless or unappealing, but targets what Jesus needs and what is in his power to take. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to get a little bit desperate if I've missed just one meal. And so just imagine how tempting this would be after 40 days. We know Jesus could turn stones into bread, for God has a pretty good track record of being able to provide for food in the wilderness. But Jesus doesn't rely on his power. He relies on the power of God's word. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is not saying that food is not necessary, but what we need should point us to the God who provides. 
In the wilderness, God gave the people manna so that they would depend on him and that they would learn that every word from God is sufficient for life. God's promises, his words, can be relied on. And his assurance that he cares for the needs of his people can be depended on. No shortcuts are needed. In Genesis, life itself was brought into existence by the word of God. And God's promises are the bedrock that brought Israel through the wilderness. Life is not found in the food in front of us, but life is given by the God who provides, who has given us his God-breathed word. Worn down from fasting, Jesus doesn't use his power to satisfy his own hunger, but he relies on the power of the word of God and uses his power for the mission of God. In any superhero movie, we often see heroes use their powers to just make their life a little bit easier. Superman turning off the lights or grabbing a drink with his spidey web. Or probably my favourite, Elastigirl using her super stretchy ability to vacuum the house. But Jesus directs his power to the mission of God. Jesus will feed thousands on the hillside. He will cause extraordinary catches of fish. But he won't be the kind of son of God who uses his power to make his life easier. But that is often what we demand of God. If you are God, prove it. Make my sickness disappear. If you are God, give me the perfect relationship. If you are God, make my worries disappear. But even when Jesus, God the Son, is faced with extreme hunger, he doesn't reach out to satisfy himself. In the beginning, Adam was in a garden of plenty, no hunger in sight. And yet he reached out to the one fruit that was forbidden, disobeying God. Jesus was in a barren wilderness, and with all power, he resisted reaching out to fulfill his need and remained obedient to God. Jesus resisted with the same power that is available to us, the power of the word of God. Obedience to the word of God is the same strategy we can employ against temptations, against offers that seem to meet the very need we crave. When we come face to face with something we desperately want, we shouldn't distort the Bible or ignore parts that challenge us, but rather we can depend on God, the one we can trust to provide for all our needs. The enemy's temptations reveal that the Son of God is not selfish, power-hungry, or self-indulgent, but obedient to the Word of God and the mission of God. The second tactic, the enemy seeks to undermine Jesus' trust in the Father. 
So from verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Enticing Jesus to use his power didn't work. So now the enemy tries to drive a wedge between the son and the father. The enemy switches strategies and adopts Jesus' approach by appealing to scripture. And of course, we shouldn't be surprised that the enemy could quote the Bible in a way that only makes him more dangerous. The enemy's temptations don't always stand out like going to an occult fortune teller, but the enemy delights to use a distorted veneer of biblical truth. Here the references that the angels will rescue Jesus from a fall Ignore the poetic nature of the Psalms. Ignore the Bible's wisdom that we are responsible for our own actions. And particularly, as Jesus points out, ignores other parts of the Bible. The enemy might have switched up his tactics in using scripture, but his motivation does not. He wants to deter Jesus from his mission, and he wants to deter us from Jesus himself. So in transporting Jesus to the highest point of the temple, the enemy implies, won't your father save you? Doesn't he promise that he will protect you? Like the ultimate trust fall, where someone falls back, hoping that the other person will catch them, the enemy wants Jesus to test the trustworthiness of the father. If you really are the son of God, then the Father will rescue you. He wants the trust Jesus have, has in the Father to be conditional on a miraculous intervention. And how often do we do the same? God, I will trust you if you do this for me. Or Lord, I will know that you love me if you just give me this. But Jesus, he knows that God's greatest act of love that history has ever known will be in his darkest hour with no protection or rescue. Jesus does not need a wonderful display to trust in the Father. He responds to the enemy, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In the wilderness, Israel tested God. At Massah, they questioned if the Lord was really among them. Even though he had given them manna every day and guided them by a pillar of cloud and fire. And now in the wilderness, Jesus responds with a quiet, ready trust in the Lord. God will do signs and wonders through Jesus but he doesn't need them to trust in the Father's plan. Jesus warns us, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
whilst there are certainly moments that God powerfully shows up in the Bible, that is not his normal way of operating. And it's not the foundation of our trust. When I've chatted with people who are pretty sceptical about Christianity, they often suggest, if Jesus would just appear in front of me, then I would believe. Or if there really is a God, then why doesn't he just speak to me? But of course, Christians can also test God in obvious and subtle ways where our trust and dependence or our willingness to do something difficult is dependent on God acting in a particular way first. We set the rules and then we ask God to jump. But our trust is to be like Jesus, confident in our Father, not demanding of signs, but willing to wait and a ready obedience to God's will, even if that includes taking a costly path. The final tactic of the enemy is offering to fast track Jesus' glory. So from verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Right from the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, and outlines his royal ancestry. Jesus is the king and ruler. But as the, but as the son, all nations and the ends of the earth belong to him. So the enemy targets what is rightfully belongs to Jesus, the kingdoms of the world. But instead of going to the cross, the enemy offers the world to Jesus now. This is the ultimate distraction tactic. To accept it would fast track Jesus' glory, bypass the cross, and bypass God's plan to save the world. Jesus could take up his glory in the world right at this moment, but it would mean abandoning us. The enemy is on a mission to distract Jesus from the path of the cross. And this easy way out? Well, it will avoid suffering, rejection, torture, and death. With just one small requirement. Worship Satan. To this, Jesus responds forcefully, Away from me, Satan! And he uses the same rebuke to Peter when he suggests that Jesus should not die. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And God's concerns are the salvation of the whole world. The enemy, Jesus, shows the enemy and us that this Son of God is not in it for himself but he is willing to suffer so that we might be saved. Jesus doesn't take the pragmatic option or compromise his allegiance, 
but he serves the Lord only. And he calls us to do the same. Ironically, the pattern we see in Jesus' temptations is that the enemy could only ever offer a watered-down, pale version of what God ultimately provides. Here the enemy offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus will be given all authority on heaven and on earth, for he is the true king of the universe. The moment of glory will not be a deal with the devil, but evil's ultimate defeat. Enthroned on the cross, Jesus will show us what true glory looks like. That this son of God, who serves the Lord, willingly takes the path of the suffering servant, that we too can taste glory. If you feel at the moment that your faith is a bit flat or Jesus seems a bit distant or it's just really hard to imagine that obeying God could ever be better than taking what you really desire, what might be in front of you or right in your grasp, you have a few options. You can put God to the test You can distort his word for your own desires. Or as Jesus shows us in his example and on the cross, you can trust him. The one who was entitled to everything laid everything down for us, holding nothing back so that we can know salvation and life in all its fullness. The enemy's response to Jesus shows that his intent is to deter Jesus from the cross and to deter us from Jesus. And his method is to entice him and us to independence from the Father. But Jesus shows us that we can be faithful to him because he was faithful to us. In the wilderness and in his darkest hour, Jesus remained faithful to make a way for our salvation. He stood on the promises of God, trusting that God is indeed working out his purposes, even when it would cost him everything. Let's pray. Gracious Father, how we thank you that Jesus remained faithful to your plan, that he remained faithful to the cross. Lord, please help us never to doubt your good plans, but help our lives to be saturated with your word, ready for when the enemy attacks. Lord, please renew our trust in our saviour, Jesus that he would be our deepest delight and satisfaction. Lord, please make us ready to serve you only. And please help us to follow Jesus, whatever costly path you may lead us in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.